Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Lydia Magruder channel. I'm continuing today talking about whether Jesus was rejected at his hometown of Nazareth one time or two times, and I'm arguing probably two times. And in the larger pattern, we're talking about biases that scholars have that are not anti-supernatural biases. And one of these is a bias against a similar type of event happening more than once. So I got started with that last time and I'm going to continue today. I want to talk about two alleged arguments that would seem to indicate or to some people seem to indicate that this was the same event. Now notice that if this is the same event, um, you know, Luke has a lot more information than uh, Mark and Matthew have. So Mark and Matthew, I would say they are talking about the same event. Um, but Luke's is, is quite a different narrative. And so it's an interesting question. If somebody tells you that the same event, uh, you can ask him, you know, so, you know, where did Luke get his additional information then? And uh, if he got additional information, why couldn't he have had information about a completely separate occasion? Um, and we've talked about what are sometimes considered uncanny resemblances and whether or not two incidents sound so much alike that they would be uncannily similar if they were separate occasions. And so then that's an argument that it's only one occasion. Um, and I was arguing that these are not uncannily similar. In fact, when you listen to them, they sound rather different. I think probably the strongest similarity between them that could be used to argue that this only happened once, or this type of thing only happened once at Nazareth, is what Jesus says to the crowd. So I'm using, I'm using Mark as a representative of his and Matthew's version. Um, after they've been offended at him, sort of grumbling because who does he think he is? You know, we know his family. He's just a kid from around here. And Jesus said to him, this is Mark 6, 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Okay, um, and then over in Luke, they're actually more positively inclined toward him at first, and I pointed this out last time. Um, but after that, Jesus, even though, you know, you might think he'd play to the part of the crowd that is positively inclined, he almost seems to be goading them. And Luke 4.23 goes like this, and he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. I'll be going back to that mention of Capernaum in a moment. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And then he goes on to develop that theme of a uh, prophet going to somewhere other than his hometown. Uh, Elijah going to uh, the widow of Zarephath, even though she's not a Jew, and uh, Elisha healing Naaman, who's a Syrian and not a Jew. And apparently something in his way of saying that really was insulting. We can only imagine his manner, his tone of voice, his, his face, and then they become enraged and try to throw him up a hill. But in both, you have this place where he's saying to them, 
that a prophet does not receive honor in his own home. And it's just worded a little bit differently. But that might seem to be an uncanny resemblance, an uncanny similarity. Oh, so in both places, he he said this to the crowd that a prophet doesn't have honor in his own town. Really? That happened twice, you know? And I, I want to challenge the idea that even that is so terribly implausible. I'm going to give two um, maybe slightly surprising things to, to kind of think outside the box and challenge the idea that that would be improbable. There's a meme going around. You can uh, Google it. Maybe I'll find a copy and make it the uh, thumbnail picture for this video this week. And it's called, How Dad Are You? And it's got all these different places where a, a dad type person, I do this sometimes myself, says the same thing in the same set of circumstances, similar circumstances. So you're driving by and you see horses out the window and you say, look, horses. Or, um, you know, the, the cashier's having trouble bringing something up and the dad way to respond to this is to say, oh, I guess it's three, free then, right? And, and this may happen more often than just one time. It may happen many times. And you're like, yeah, you always say that, you know, at that point. Now I'm bringing this up because it, it just draws our attention in a common sense sort of way to the fact that when you encounter a similar situation, if you've got a phrase that you think actually encapsulates that situation pretty well, then you're likely to use that phrase again. Uh, another analogy would be, uh, I remember Ronald Reagan as president, and when he was challenged with a, a sort of straw man of his position. He did this in a debate. He also did it sometimes in press conferences. He would say, there you go again. There you go again, you know. And he was using that to, to point out that uh, he was being asked a leading question or that in some way his position was being misrepresented. So he encountered that situation more than once and pointed out that he was encountering that situation more than once. So Jesus saying to them, prophets got no honor in his hometown, um, makes sense, okay? It's, it's the kind of thing that he could say more often than just one time. In fact, it's interesting, you find this uh, little proverbial saying about a prophet not having honor in his hometown in John 4. And if you look that up, John kind of says it just apropos of the fact that Jesus is going back to Galilee. You know, he doesn't connect it with some one event. You know, he says that Jesus said this, you know, so it was this saying that the disciples remembered that Jesus said, and it stuck in their minds in connection with Galilee, connection with Nazareth, that a prophet lacked honor in his hometown. So again, we bring common sense to bear here, and we can see that um, we shouldn't be very skeptical of the possibility that he really did say this to the crowd more than once in the synagogue at Nazareth. Now, another argument that uh, I've seen used that this is uh, the same incident, and in fact, this gets used to argue that Luke is, is modifying it in a, a somewhat fictional way, um, 
is at the end of the incident in Luke. So this is Luke chapter 4, verse 31, right after narrating them almost throwing him off the, off the cliff. It says, and he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now, there's been no mention previously in Luke of Jesus going to Capernaum. But if you go back, he says that they will be likely to say to him, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So that seems to imply that Jesus has had a ministry already in Capernaum. So this is seen as a kind of a slip on Luke's part that Luke is, you know, making stuff up, adding stuff, moving it dischronologically to a different uh, point in time, but that it's as though he's he's kind of forgetting that Jesus hasn't been in Capernaum yet, and that this is kind of a sign of that, um, because he puts into Jesus' mouth the statement that they they will want him to do the kind of works that he did in Capernaum, but he hasn't been to Capernaum yet. Well, actually, um, one of the older authors, and I tried to find the reference this past week, and I wasn't able to find it. It's, it's either J.J. Blunt or T.R. Burks, one of those 19th century authors, points out that there's almost an undesigned coincidence here with that very mention of Capernaum and the Gospel of John. It's kind of cool the way that Luke and John so often complement one another. Um, in John... Jesus is in Cana. This is John 4, early in his, relatively early in his ministry. He's at Cana. And a royal official from Capernaum travels to Cana to ask for Jesus' help, to ask him to heal his son. And no, that is even more different from the centurion's servant. It's obviously a different healing, so I'm not even going to go into answering that at any length. This is it's just clearly a different event. Read them. They don't even look the same. So uh, you'd have to really be biased against two similar events to try to make those out to be variants of the same event. So royal official from Capernaum comes to Jesus at Cana and asks for his help. And Jesus heals at a distance. He just says, okay, go back. He's healed because the man is begging him to come. So when the man goes back, he finds out that the fever had left his son before, and he asks when, and it turns out to be at the very time when Jesus said, go home, he's going to live. So this is a big deal. And as this older author pointed out, since the healing took place, in a sense, at Capernaum, the talk about it would have been at Capernaum, right? I mean, up in Gal, uh, up in Cana, excuse me, up in Cana, they're not going to necessarily immediately know that this has happened. I imagine the word may have gotten back to Cana eventually, but the big buzz is going to be in Capernaum. He's a royal official, maybe he's a well-known man, and it's going to go around, you know, that this son was healed and it was right at the time when Jesus said this. So that counts as a deed or a work that was done at Capernaum and could very well be what Jesus is alluding to here um, when he's in Nazareth 
that they're going to want him to do something similarly impressive there in his hometown that he did in Capernaum, even though he himself was not present in Capernaum. And I think that's very plausible. So uh, it's not evidence that Luke has moved this dischronologically, that he's invented a portion of it. In fact, it actually fits really well with something we find separately and independently in John's Gospel. Okay, now, um, I want to talk about two more arguments that these are different events. These are not, like, overwhelming. They're just part of a cumulative case. First of all, I would argue that there is movement in Luke, and I've mentioned this already, but I want to emphasize it again. In Luke, you have Jesus sitting down, the people all look at him, he's, he's just read the passage from Isaiah, and um, then he says, today this scripture's been fulfilled in your ears, and at first, they're very impressed with him, and so when they say, you know, isn't this the son of Joseph, at least some of the people are saying it as, wow, wow, really impressive. You know, I knew him when he was knee high to the grasshopper. Um, and then as he goes on talking, they become enraged. In Mark, the impression is more of what I might call static grumpiness. So instead of sort of swinging from one extreme to another, it's more just who does he think he is you know uh we got we know his sisters we know his mother we know his father we know it you know etc right um who does he think he is so that static versus dynamic impression is part of why i think that the two passages sound quite different um another one is at the end in mark at the end of the description it says and he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. <clears throat> and he wondered at their unbelief. And it says this after the um, people have been grumbling and Jesus has said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Now, it's a weak impression. I wouldn't bet my life on it. But one does get the impression there that Jesus stayed for a little while. He might have been visiting his mother. You know, she she probably still lived in Nazareth at the time. I think Joseph was dead by this time. Um, but that he didn't leave immediately. Um, so during that time, he heals the few sick people that he does heal. That would be my impression. Whereas, you know, in in Luke, they're literally trying to throw him off a hill. And it just says, but passing through their midst, he went his way. Luke 4, verse 30. Um, I would say it would be kind of awkward for him to stay in the town after that. You know, they literally tried to throw him off the hill and uh, probably laid, I would say, probably laid hands on him. I think that there, there's this notion, you know, they take him up to the the top of the hill and then he does you know the jedi mind trick or whatever it is that he does to just say eh, i'm gonna go and he goes you know but but to be hanging around after that in his mother's home with his disciples and you know going out to the post office or you know whatever you're doing and uh, healing a few people it just doesn't fit very well i think with something that dramatic it's more plausible that he would leave 
relatively quickly. Now, again, you know, not, not that he's afraid, but just to like, okay, I think this visit, I think we're done here. I think this visit is, is at an end for right now. Um, again, I'm not, you know, betting the farm on that, but th those are just two more of the ways in which the, the passages really don't resemble each other all that strongly. Now, I mentioned that verse in Mark where it says he, he couldn't do any miracles except that he healed a few sick people. I'm not going to launch into discussing this in this video because this video is about comparing Matthew and Mark on the one hand to Luke on the other hand and asking whether this is one incident or two and I would argue that it's two. But those of you who are into this kind of thing will immediately say, hey, isn't that a difference with Matthew? And, and yes, it is that even though Matthew and Mark are pretty clearly talking about the same incident, there's this little tiny wording difference where uh, Matthew says, you know, he didn't heal many sick people. And Mark says he could not heal many sick people. And everybody gets all googly-eyed about that and say, ooh, you know, Matthew's changing it because of his higher Christology. I just saw somebody making this argument on social media the other day um, as a, a, an argument, not only that Mark was written first, but also obviously, you know, that, that Matthew is suppressing things and, you know, adapting because of this developmentalist Christology that's gradually getting higher and higher. Um, that is a topic for another video, and I think I'm going to do that next time. That love of developmental sequences is another of those scholarly biases that I think is it's just wrong. I, I wrote on Facebook in a post that I'll link next time. It's already there, though, if you follow me, that all these developmental things are just bunk. They're all wrong that, you know, we're gradually getting a higher and higher Christology or gradually getting more and more anti-Semitic or whatever. You know, Bart Ehrman's very fond of those. But I want to talk about that more next time because it's a somewhat different topic. What I've done here in these two weeks is to try to show how reasonable it is to take these to be two different events. And as I said in the show notes last time, uh, even though I talk a lot about a chronological narration. That's only one tool. When an author is narrating in an order that's not a chronological order, but he's not changing chronology either. We need more tools than that. And the possibility of more than one similar event is another one of those tools, but it's not the only tool. Okay, and, and I, as, as not being an inerrantist, would also have in mind the possibility of, of good faith error at times happening. So these are all different ways that we can encounter a claim that, you know, sometime, something's been changed, something's been moved in a fictionalizing way. And we can say, you know, is that really the best explanation? And one of these other explanations, I think, will always be uh, a better explanation. I don't say that a priori. I say it because I've examined it and the case for fictionalizing is extremely poor in the Gospels. So here, the tool that I think applies best is the idea that these were two very broadly similar, but in fact, different incidents in Nazareth. Okay, come back next time 
to the Lydia Madrid channel where we're making common sense rigorous.